This is an ABC podcast. A controversy over the decision by the Therapeutic Goods Administration to allow authorised psychiatrists to prescribe the active ingredient of magic mushrooms, psilocybin, for people with treatment-resistant depression and MDMA, ecstasy, for treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder. The charity Mind Medicine Australia has been pushing for this aggressively and has been actively involved in the commercial arrangements for the importation of psilocybin. On the other side, psychiatric researchers such as Professor Pat McGorry are concerned especially about psilocybin. Here's Professor McGorry and Peter Hunt from Mind Medicine Australia on recent health reports. The main criticism that I have is not even the study of the drugs. Maybe it's fair enough for other people, even if we don't feel comfortable to study psilocybin as well. But what's happened is that the TGA, after initially regarding the evidence as insufficient, in response to a very intense response from the group Mind Medicine Australia that's leading this, have actually reversed their decision. And it seems a very unusual decision. I think the risk is going to potentially outweigh the benefits if there are any. Everything requires more research. You know, that could apply to virtually every medicine that you talk about on your show. But there comes a point in time when the, when the data is sufficiently robust that people who, frankly, are suffering terribly, nothing is working for them, should be given access to them if they and their psychiatrists believe it's appropriate. But Pat McGorry, the University of Melbourne, isn't alone in having reservations. Susan Russell is Professor of Cognitive Neuropsychiatry at Swinburne University in Melbourne and is commencing a large Australian trial of psilocybin in people with treatment-resistant depression. Welcome to the Health Report, Susan. Hello there. Lovely to speak to you, Norman. How surprised were you at the TGA's decision on psilocybin? I was enormously surprised. Um, uh, this has been tried several times over the last few years. And uh, the researchers in Australia that have been doing a lot of work with both psilocybin um, and other compounds have uh, been very critical of it being downscheduled. So for it to happen all of a sudden without any consultation with researchers and clinicians in this space seems uh, a little uh, weird to me. I mean, when I interviewed Mind Medicine Australia, Peter Hunt, he maintained that there was a lot of consultation with uh, researchers, particularly quoted uh, London-based researcher David Nutt. I think uh, David Nutt was the only person that was invited to any consultations. And uh, David, although he's a dear colleague of mine, in fact, I did my training with him in London very many years ago, is known for his controversial opinions on this. I, I you know, I've got a great amount of respect for him. But I think in this case, um, I think he's uh, spoken out of turn. We really do need a lot more further research. So I'm very um, grateful for people like Pat McGorry for speaking out. But I also think we do need to make sure that we're speaking out with the right evidence. So what's your concern based on the evidence? So my concern is this, that there is some very preliminary evidence that these compounds work and work very well um, for certain individuals. So then uh, that comes to what my concerns are. It is for certain individuals. We don't have enough evidence yet to work out which individuals are going to benefit from these um, uh, compounds and which ones aren't. And we do know that some people have quite adverse reactions. The other problem that I have, and this is one that, uh, that nobody has been talking about in the uh, field apart from myself and a few of my colleagues, is 
for people that it does work, it has a profound effect on their well-being. Like, and I do mean absolutely profound. These are people with treatment-resistant problems that have been unwell for sometimes 20 years. And we find with them they get something called a burden of normality. These are people that haven't finished school, haven't finished university, can't hold down a job. And then all of a sudden, for the first time, can think clearly for the first time in 20 years. And they have to put their lives back together. So when they have these profound changes to their lives, we're able to work out what the correct pathway to care for them is. And this might include occupational um, therapy. It might include uh, very um, comprehensive social work. But at least we need to work this out in research before we even can think about rolling it out into um, the clinical landscape and rolling it out into health services. So you're doing my head in a little bit here, Susan, because putting aside any side effects of the psilocybin itself, what you're saying is this is a side effect of success. What's the trajectory of these people if they have this psychological reaction to coming out into a world where they're not burdened by depression? So we have done some work prior to this, not with psilocybin or any of the other psychedelics. We've done it with deep brain stimulation. And And just to explain here, this is where you put electrodes into the brain, in parts of the brain where you think depression is originating and stimulate that part of the brain. Exactly. Um, And for those that don't have appropriate long-term care and follow-up and aren't given this really intensive psychosocial rehabilitation that they want, the um, after effects of having a greater improvement of their symptoms, so a really real profound reduction of their depression, um, they get worse again. So, you know, we'd we'd be going into a cycle where they would then need more and more intervention rather than and actually working with the the good effects from the the psilocybin in the first place. So paradoxically, (laughs) is there a self-harm risk? Exactly there is, and that's what concerns me. So that was what I was going to come to. So so the self-harm suicide risk could actually be elevated in these individuals because if you can imagine, they've never worked before, they've never had, you know, productive relationships, and then we're not giving them any help to work through those issues. So what needs to happen then? I mean, the, the, the genie's out of the bottle. My medicine astray is training all these psychiatrists and psychologists and so on. We haven't even sorted out what the psychotherapy is that should go with it. Um, oh, my God. Tell me about it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, is it too late for the TGA to go back on this? I feel I feel that it is. I feel that the the, the TGA really were, went into this blindfolded and um, very much pushed into it by by mind medicine. But independent of that, so people like myself and all my colleagues really have to deal with this now. And what I say to the TGA is, you got you've got to stop giving people the wrong information. I went to a webinar the other day where the TGA were telling us that the Royal College of Psychiatrists actually had training. They don't have any training whatsoever and they need to be on the front foot here and start to talk to the Royal College about what the Royal College can do and work with them appropriately to come up with some guidelines quickly unless they're going to change their mind. I'm not saying that they should change their mind but what I'm saying is we've all got to be on the same page moving forward from the 1st of July. Okay, well, we might try and get TGA on to talk about this though, although that's a hard thing to do. Susan, thanks for joining us on the Health Report. No problem, thanks, Norman. Susan Russell is Professor of Cognitive Neuropsychiatry at Swinburne University in Melbourne. I'm with you, Norman. That's really turning my brain inside out. Yeah, the fact that just 
you can imagine just the, you've had this disability, suddenly it's gone and the, the ability to cope, it's, it is quite you know, an interesting concept. And yeah. It's not worrying. And uh, we've been following this for a few weeks, as we hinted before. And one of the issues left hanging after your interview with Peter Hunt from Mind Medicine Australia a couple of weeks ago was how Australians would access safe psilocybin. And Peter Hunt was coy and said an announcement was imminent. One has come out now. Yeah, so not long after that health report, an announcement was made by a company called Optimi Health or Optimi Health, which uh, has signed a purchase order with Mind Medicine Australia to supply uh, encapsulated psilocybin from a Canadian manufacturing facility. It's unclear exactly what the business arrangement is with Mind Medicine Australia, um, and it looks as though Mind Medicine Australia might be the importer here, and it's just not entirely clear. But um, this is supposedly a company that will make psilocybin under good manufacturing practices. So that um, we'll put that uh, press release up on the Health Sports website. And we'll keep following this over the coming weeks too. Yep. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.